episode 128, Bob Chapman. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. And I've got some inspiration for you today. And I'm pretty sure this episode will hit you right in the heart. At least that's what it did for me. Recently named number three CEO in the world, Bob Chapman is very intentional about using his platform as chairman and CEO of Barry Waymiller to build a better world. This man's impact on our world has been massive from speaking on some of the largest stages to winning top awards in his leadership then the recently named number three CEO in the world, his company Chapman and Co and all of the amazing leadership training and development that they do to better wonderful leaders. It's so much. We're going to have to add all of that in the show notes so you can learn more about him just in case you aren't familiar with all of his work. One of Bob's favorite sayings is a huge reason why he's a perfect fit to be here today. I want to read it. Listen to this. Business could be the most powerful force for good in the world if leaders would embrace the awesome responsibility of leadership. Caring for people and giving them meaning, purpose, and fulfillment through their work is not in disharmony with creating value. So good. Exactly why he's a perfect guest. Let's get to it. Bob, I am elated to have you join me on Gut Plus Science today. Our conversation is intended to inspire leaders to learn to care first. And I know this is very near and dear to your heart and your leadership style. Why is care core to leadership success? I have evolved in my 51-year career in leadership, so I've had a lot of experiences I think care first is that I think every leader's responsibility is to give those people in their span of care a grounded sense of hope for the future. That is your primary response, whether you're president of the United States, head of a department, running a company, to look at those people in your span of care as somebody's precious child has been placed in your care for 40 hours a week. And knowing, which I never learned in my education or my experience in the world, that the way we lead our organizations impacts the way those in our care go home and treat their spouses, their children, and behave in our community. So I believe, and I love the word care, our responsibility is to care for the people we have the privilege of leading. Well, so good. Thank you for sharing that. And it leads me right into what I think is really important to talk about. I know you too, is around mindset shift and just that simple yet profound message that you just shared about how we treat our people, how they feel when they're at work is how the rest of the world is impacted because they leave work and then it's a ripple effect. And so I think it's so important for you to share with us to show up as a caring leader, what mindset must we adopt or shift? Well, I would say to you, mine, my transformation from I call management to leadership, and I've learned to define the word management as the manipulation of others for your success. And leadership is the stewardship of the lives entrusted to you, dramatically different than my education and my experience, because I always thought it was always about me and my success, okay, and never, never thought of the people whose life I would impact in my journey through life. And so, and then the revelation for me that what changed everything again, I looked at people in our organization as a means for my success. I needed an, an accountant, financial, I needed a production leader. I needed people for my success. I, and, and what flipped it 
uh, for me was uh, the wedding story, which uh, has become a landmark transformation for me that people around the world seem to relate to is at a wedding, well, probably 10 years ago, a friend of mine was walking his daughter down the aisle and I saw everybody, ooh and ah, how precious she looked, how proud my friend was, the father. And when he got to the altar, he said, her mother and I give our daughter to be married to this young man. He sat down next to his wife. And again, my mind went to a totally different place, having walked my two precious daughters down the aisle. And I said, that's not what that father wanted to say. That's what he was told to say. What he wanted to say is, look at young man. Her mother and I brought this precious young lady into this world. We'd given her everything we could possibly give her so she could be who she's intended to be. And we expect you, young man, through this marriage for you to continue in that stewardship so she can be who she's intended to be. Do you understand that, young man? That's what every father wants to say. And then my mind went to the next place. I said, oh, my God, as precious as that young man and young lady look standing up there at the altar, which we're all watching. All 12,000 people that work for us around the world, they're not engineers, accountants, uh, production workers, hourly workers. They are somebody's precious child that's been placed in our care. And the way I treat them will have a profound impact on our life. So the shift for me was when I didn't see people as a means for my success, when I saw them as somebody's precious child that's been placed in my care, and the way I treat them would have a meaningful impact on their health. Because remember, we learned from the CDC that the person you report to at work is more important to your health than your family doctor. And I was never taught, never heard, never experienced that the way I would treat people at work would affect the way they would go home and treat their spouse and their children. But when we in our university teach people to be leaders who embrace the profound responsibility they're going to have on the lives of others, 95% of the feedback from our university classes in our company is how it affects their marriage and their relationship with their children. They don't come and say, I ran a better accounting department or a better sales department. They said, my marriage has improved and my relationship with my kids, which was extremely a surprise to us because we were just trying to convert them from managers into leaders. I always say, why, you know, in, in Indiana, where we both went, I had management classes, got a management degree, and I got a job in management. So I thought my job was to manage. Okay. And, and what I realized is you can't manage anybody. You can only lead people. Okay. And that is a profound difference. And so the mind shift is really going from seeing people as a means for my success to somebody's precious child that's been placed in my care, knowing that I will have a meaningful impact on their life, their family, and the way they behave in our uh, communities. So profound. And I'd love if you could share the journey after your pivot of this realization. You know, what have you learned on how to convert managers to leaders or bring other leaders along the the new game-changing belief that you, you know, started to implement? Like, how did you do that? It was an evolution. You know, I, 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 as I mentioned to you, I've, I had three transformative experiences. And the first was the day I realized, why can't business be fun? Why do we call it work? And we created some unique motivational programs that aligned value creation and fun and, and having competition. And so we saw profound change in performance, fun, enjoyment. And so we started, what is going on here? And then I learned at church one day, uh, where the, my mentor is director of our church, and I was so inspired by his sermons. But one day I got up to and was walking out of church with Cynthia, and I said, oh, my God, Cynthia, 
Ed, our rector, only has us for an hour a week. We have people for 40 hours a week. We are 40 times more powerful to affect people's lives than our church. And so I said that day, again, the next thought that occurred to me is business could be the most powerful force for good in the world if we simply learn to care for the people we have the privilege of leading. So those are the three transforming events. And so one, what I realized one day is that we had been given a gift. These revelations opened our mind to a totally different view of what the profound responsibility of leadership about serving others, not serving ourselves, moving from a me focus to a we focus. And, and, and we'd said, well, how are we going to make sure this doesn't die with me? Okay. That is too dependent upon Bob. And so we decided we needed like great religions to create disciples who believe this and carried it beyond my time. Cause we felt we'd been given this gift, these insights into seeing the profound opportunity leadership has to shape the world as it should be. And so we start and, and our team, this eclectic team I put together to, to try and create this experience to transform managers and leaders. And the revelation I want your listeners to hear is uh, we have a, a fabulous gentleman named David Vondermullen, who was part of this team to say, how are we going to convert managers and leaders? And he said, well, we need to teach people how to listen. And I said, what? We need to teach adults to listen? He said, yes. And I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, I and the good news is they were strong enough and determined enough that they overrode me and, and taught it. And so I'm probably six months later, I'm in Minneapolis and a young lady who ran our personnel department in Minneapolis came up to me and said, Mr. Chapman, I just took your listening class in Barry Winley University. And I said, great. What was it like? I had no idea. And she said, it changed my life. And I said, it changed your life? And she said, yes, I now know how to raise my two-year-old daughter. Well, that touched my heart deeply and opened my mind to what is going on here. So what I realize is when we taught people to listen, which is the greatest act of leadership, which is contrary to everything I'd been taught, it, it made a profound impact on me. And I started traveling around the country and I, I heard that this eclectic university to convert, that we had created internally, because we couldn't send our people back to graduate schools because we teach management, not leadership. And so what we learned is that this journey of, and the three core things we teach, the result in this, which we teach empathetic listening, a three-day intense class to understand yourself and understand how you show up to treat others. And then recognition and celebration, how to look for the goodness in people and, and let them know that they matter, which is critical. And third is culture of service, serving the opportunity to serve others. So that eclectic journey led us to this transition from management to leadership. And I honestly didn't really quite know what I had created here other than I was driven by this inspiration of these transformative events and the way I think about my sense of responsibility. And about now, 11 years ago, uh, I eclectically met a guy named Simon Sinek, who's a legendary in terms of TED Talks. I think he's got the number two or three TED Talk in the world. And Simon heard about what we we're doing, didn't believe it, and came in to see it. I had no idea what he was going to think because I it just it had been a journey for us. I didn't really know what we had. And Simon Sennett came in, spent two days talking to our people, and he said, I'm no longer a nutty idealist. I've just seen what I dream of. I dream of a world where you could tap anybody in the shoulder in any city and say, 
how do you like your job? And they say, I don't like my job. I love my job. And Simon said, if it exists, it must be possible. So I would say to you that external validation and followed by Bill Urey, World Peace Negotiator, Raj Shizodi wrote the book on Kansas Castle, the McKinsey partners, the Harvard professors. We have had people come in now from unbelievable people from all over the world to see it. And the universal statement is I've never seen anything like this. This is top McKinsey partners, Harvard professors, Simon Sinek, et cetera. So honestly, Nikki, I believe we were given being used by some higher power to show the world the way we were intended to live and work together, where we genuinely had the skills and the courage to care for others. Bob, can you illustrate the change you've seen listening impact, particularly transforming engagement? Like what does that look like inside of an organization? One of the things I want your listeners to hear is that one of the things we did because several universities were kind of watching this in the early days and they needed kind of what I'll call academic validation. They did a survey of our two largest organizations in terms of the impact we were making. And I think your listeners may know that 88% of all people who work in our country feel they work for an organization that does not care about them which is a startling uh, statistic that nobody debates. And when Georgetown and Washington University did a survey of our team members, they found that uh, 79% of our people feel we care about them, which is a dramatic uh, number. We had never had any uh, way to measure it. We, we knew people felt good, but we didn't know how to measure it. So that academic validation. But what they found is, which was really interesting to them and to us, is they found a high degree of altruism in the company which is the willingness to do something for somebody else without expecting anything in return. So if you think about the world as we would desire it, isn't that the kind of world you'd like to be a part of, whether it's at work or at home in your community? Is a world where people think of others first. And so for your listeners, we, we started off again just crudely wanting to pe- have people fulfilled, sending them home fulfilled, but we'll, and, and to do that, we, we showed that we cared for them through recognition and celebration, through listening and teaching our leaders uh, all these attributes. And what I didn't realize at the time is that, and the good news is that caring is contagious. You know, we have a lot of people trying to create care for the environment, uh, for people with less needs, but it's hard for people to care for others when they don't feel cared for themselves. So I would say to you, one of the profound learnings we have is when we genuinely care through our practices of leadership, listening, recognition, celebration, communication, that when they feel cared for, they start caring for others to the right and to the left of them in their company. And it creates this culture that the McKinsey people, the Harvard people, uh, Simon said they had never seen anything like it in their life. How is it possible in traditional manufacturing in America through this journey, this eclectic journey from focusing our success to caring for the people we had the privilege of leading, that all of a sudden we find people caring for each other. So you know, when we have a lot of people in this, in this country doing good in this world, you know, writing checks and save the environment to take care of other people, but it's hard for people to care for others when they don't feel cared for themselves. So I, I want to, this story that uh, I experienced, I think, captures it all. A gentleman, a very prominent gentleman heard me give a speech 
he flew out to Aspen to have dinner with me to follow up on it. And I was sitting at a table with his in the field of private equity. Uh, and I said, what are you really proud of? And he said, well, I'm proud of, of I'm known for my $120 million gift to my alma mater. What I'm really proud of is our minority student athletic scholarship program we sponsor every year. And I said, well, that's great. How many people are you able to help each year through your minority student athletic scholarship program? He said five or six. And I said, that's wonderful. How many people work for your company in the world? And he said, 100,000. And I said, so you're telling me you care for your five or six, you're really proud of the five or six people you can help, minority athletic scholarship, but you don't care for the 100,000 people that work for you every day. And this really fine gentleman looked at me and he said, I never thought about that. And so I would say to you, the greatest act of charity is not the checks we write to the United Way or the Cancer Society or Amman. The greatest act of charity as leaders is how we treat the people we have the privilege of leading. That is a revelation that I hope your listeners pick up on. We could heal the world tomorrow if business would embrace the profound impact we make on the people who place their trust in us come to work every day, simply wanting to know that who they are and what they do matters. And we could heal the brokenness we're feeling in the world right now, this poverty of dignity in the world, because we see people as a means for our success. We don't see them as somebody's precious child that's been placed in our care. Wonderful thoughts. And you said recognition and celebration are foundational to care. Can you share some maybe new ways we can think about recognition or practice it? Yes. Again, Cynthia and I raised six kids. And to try and be a good stewards of those six kids, we took a lot of classes on parenting because how do we develop parenting skills? Uh, well, we hope we had good parents and we learned from them. But we decided to take some classes. One of the things we learned in raising kids that if you don't compliment them five times more than you suggest things they could do better, it is hard for them to deal with uh, uh, the suggestions of being better. And so from that experience, we decided that we needed to focus and the expression is shine a light in the organization, look for the goodness, hold it up and say, thank you. And so we decided to create what we call the guiding principle, a leadership award. Those people, which our team members feel embody the attributes of leadership articulated in our guiding principle leaderships. And we decided because I'm a car nut, we'd give them this fancy uh, convertible uh, kind of slingshot yellow. They could drive for a week if they want. Well, it was just kind of an eclectic idea that we would, and we decided everybody would not nominate people for their goodness as, as articulated in our guiding principle leadership. So we began this kind of eclectic little recognition program. And now we've done, uh, so what we do is we have people nominate somebody for their goodness. So it begins right there. We have people writing notes to the committee about the goodness of their fellow workers, which is a profound act itself. Second of all, we have the committee pick from that. And we surprise the winner in a company-wide gathering. We gather outside the plant. We have this shiny slingshot yellow SSR convertible sitting out there. And we read the attributes of the winner, but we don't announce the name. And everybody's wondering who it is. And all of a sudden we say, Mary, uh, would you walk forward and receive the keys to this car that you're going to get to drive for a week? And, and Mary's overwhelmed. She starts crying. She, you know, in front of 500 people, she's walking up to stage. But as Mary walks up to the stage, her family walks out from behind the stage outside the plant. And there's emotion in everybody because we see the pride of the family and seeing Mary recognized for this. So I've interviewed now probably 300 people who have won this award around the world. 
in our company. And they say to me, it's the most meaningful recognition of their life because it's from their peers who they work with every day. And they had no idea that they thought that of them. Number two, they say that they call their spouse to tell them they won. And number three, they say 95% of the people say, I took my mother for a ride. So I got behind each one of those statements. Why is it the most significant recognition in your life? Because it's come from the people you work with every day that see you every day. And you had no idea they felt that way because it was a job. It was. And so that was incredible. The second thing, they call their spouse to tell them they won. But I've listened to so many people say that that's the words they use. What they said is they really call their spouse to say, you are unbelievably lucky to be married to me because look at what I just got recognized by my 400 fellow team members. And finally, they took their mother for a ride. Why? They rarely ever say they took their father. And I'm standing back saying, why do they say that? Because in many families, not all, because we have many diverse families now, but the mother quite often is the source of goodness and the father is the source of achievement. Again, every family is different. That's not universally true, but 95% of the people say, I took my mother for a ride. And what they meant was I went back to my source of goodness and said, you know, mom, I turned out okay. Thank you. One lady actually came up to me after the award who had won it several weeks before. And she said, Mr. Chapman, I agree with everything you said. I want you to know I actually took the car to the cemetery to show my deceased mother that I, I had achieved this in life, which would have meant a lot to her. So I think we've tapped into some profound senses of purpose to let people know they matter. Our goal as leaders is, is to let people know they matter in meaningful, thoughtful ways and spend more time on the goodness in people so we can deal with where people fall short. Unfortunately, we live in a world where we focus on the brokenness of the world, not the goodness of the world. How, why would you like to work in a place where people would say, I got 10 things right, and I never heard a word. I got one thing wrong, and I got my ass chewed out, which I've heard before we started this. So we spend so much time on the goodness in people that when we have people that disappoint us or you know don't behave as we would, we can deal with it because we're so overwhelmed with the goodness of the world. So anyway, that is a huge learning for us. Recognition and celebration is a part of our leadership. And, thought, and we have a class where we teach people how to do it. We actually have a major airline that uh, works with us on our outreach initiative. And, and we actually practice this within a, an, an initial session with our senior leadership team. And uh, one of our team members recognized a, a lady in this case who happened to work uh, with the chairman of the, of the major airline. And, and he virtually cried watching us simply recognizing this woman that had worked with this gentleman. So I would say to you, the skill of recognition and celebration, how do we let people know they matter? Most of us think I gave them a good job and I pay them fairly. They ought to be happy. That does not create happiness. People want to know they matter. And as leaders, we have a chance to show they matter in meaningful, thoughtful way. It is a skill. Listening is a skill. Recognition and celebration is a skill that is teachable. Yeah. So let's talk workplace environment. What are the most important factors to consider when creating a caring environment for employees, particularly considering so much of our environmental factors have shifted over the past 18 months? Despite the pandemic and the stay at home, the foundation, uh, I you know, remember the number one source of happiness in the world, according to Gallup, surveying 155 countries, they thought it would be wealth and the people 
uh, after you make a certain income does not create any happiness. They thought it'd be health and people take their health for granted. They found the number one source of happiness in the world is a good job doing meaningful work with people you enjoy. So we have a chance as leaders to create, if you will, in the 40 hours a week we have people, a sense of a value, a sense of purpose, a sense of teamwork. Business, when we come together uh, in an environment where we all bring our gifts together, you know, have you ever seen, I mean, again, I watched the football games and the team was so excited when they played the game together and they respected each other. So we in business, it is a team sport. It is not an individual sport. The world I imagine is not a bunch of people sitting in their bedroom with a terminal doing their job on a computer. That is not a team sport. I believe we will dramatically compromise the opportunity we have to come together, share our gifts, be inspired by the organizational purpose and go home at night feeling we're part of something bigger than ourselves. If we are simply people at the end of terminals and we could all work from our bedroom, we don't have to experience anybody. I think we will do significant damage to the future of our culture because we will make it an individual sport and we're basically all computer terminals inputting information and reacting to data. So I think business, again, could be the most powerful force in the world to heal this poverty of dignity we have in this country because people don't feel valued. They feel used for somebody else's purpose. And that is the core issue we face. And you're given your listeners are all leaders. We need to think about the issues we see in our country and how we are contributing to the brokenness we're feeling right now. You know, remember 65% of people according to Gallup would give up a salary increase if they could fire their boss. So when we do surveys of people who are now working from home saying, would you like to return to work or stay at home? If you do a survey, they're going to say, I don't care if I ever go back to work because I had a boss that degraded me. He didn't appreciate me. We fired people. So if you, if, if you get it, you look at the overwhelming statistics about people that work in every part of our society, no wonder they want to stay at home to stay away from the abuse they experienced by managers, bosses, and supervisors who had not been taught how to care and the profound responsibility. So again, we need to change our business education, which we are working to, to teach people how to be leaders, not managers, bosses, and supervisors. And we could see a lot of the brokenness in this world begin to heal when people spend 40 hours a week working with people they enjoy and feeling valued for what they do. That is the key to the issues we face. There's no government that do this you know, no, but education, we need to create leaders who will go into every part of our society. Remember, I just, my experience is much broader than just business. You know, I speak in healthcare, I speak in the government, I speak in nonprofits and education. The problem we face in this world is we don't have leaders who have the skills and the courage to care for the people they have the privilege of leading. And we are breaking down our society because we are manipulating people for our organizational success. The intersection of caring leadership and meaningful work, right? Changing the world big time. So Bob, you had touched on so when we talked about skills. So skills for really activating this, you know, caring leadership, listening, recognition, service. Were there any other foundational skills you wanted to touch on before we wrap up the episode with some tactical advice? We are actually working with a major university between Harvard and Fordham University to try and reshape the way we teach leadership in, in university. Because again, we, I would say to you, remember, 
uh, and this just off the record, the, the uh, CEO roundtable came off came up with a statement that we need as leaders, we need to think about more than just the shareholders. You know, it's kind of sad that we even had to say that, okay? Because what they're saying is that we have not focused on all the people whose lives, all the stakeholders. The problem is, and I know a, a number of these CEOs on that roundtable, they say it, they mean it. It was drafted probably by good communication skills professionals. They just have no idea how to do it. And they don't have a board that cares about that. Their board knows, they know it's about share price growth. And if, if they don't get it, they're going to get, they're going to change jobs. So again, we have a kind of a broken system, Nikki, that maybe voices like yours in the world can awaken people to that we need to, we need to embrace the profound impact we make on people's lives. All right. Now, Bob, let's get tactical. Give us some examples of caring behaviors in daily practice to inspire our leaders on now what to do next. Again, our university where we teach leadership, you know, it starts with, for example, communication, our, our listening and communication. We share information in, in ways in which people feel valued. Okay. We have stand-up meetings. And I would say to you, some of the uh, monumental transformations have been in the 08, 09 downturn. Again, I always say we are who we are in the worst of times. And during the 08, 09 downturn, we said, well, look at if even though our orders have dropped by 30%, we're facing an unprecedented crisis. We went back to our statement, if we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people, how are we going to deal with this unprecedented economic collapse in our country uh, where everybody was laying off people? And I said, well, what if we all took a little pain so that nobody had to take a lot of pain. So we asked everybody to take a month off without pay whenever they wanted, not when we wanted, but when they wanted, because that was the return gestures that I'm asking you to take a month off of the pay, but I'm letting you pick when you do it. So it can be a meaningful time in your life. That was so profound to our people because a we, and we never would have thought of that if we didn't say we measure success by the way we touch the lives of people. And when you lay off people in an environment like that, you are putting people in, in harm's way and, and the organization may get through, but a lot of people get hurt. So I would say to you, it is the way we behave every day. We deal with issues that validates what we're trying to teach, which is our business, is our people. So again, I was revealing interview. I was interviewed by Washington University Organizational Development Professors a few years ago. And after an hour and a half interview, they said, you are the first CEO I've ever talked to that never talked about your product. And I leaned back and I said, we've been talking about our product for the last hour and a half. I will not go to my grave proud of the machinery we build, the big capital equipment. I'll go to my grave proud of the people who designed and built that equipment. And that startled them. And so I would have to say to you, our focus every day is in our people in recognizing and creating an environment where they feel valued and listening to them when they have ideas. So again, I would say to you, there are so many attributes that embody this practice of caring that becomes part of your DNA. You know, people feel safe. They're not worrying about getting laid off. We spend more time focusing on the goodness so that they, they know if they make a mistake, that's not going to be our focus. Our focus is going to be on when they do something right. So, I mean, it's just a lot of little things. I always say when you go into a restaurant and you have a soup, and you say, my God, that was the best soup I've ever had. And the chef comes out and says, what was in that soup? And he says, a little bit of this and a dab of that and a touch of that. Truly human leadership is foundation on focusing on the people you have the privilege of leading and making sure they feel informed, cared for, 
and feel part of a team and focus on each other, not themselves. So again, it is, it's both our team members learning to care for each other. When they feel valued, they do. So I mean, it's, a, it's a lot of things. And so what we've done is we've released the goodness in people and we focus on that and we celebrate that. If three out of four people in this country are disengaged in what they're doing, why do you need to justify caring? Clearly, when people feel cared for, they will share gifts with you beyond your imagination. They will rise to the occasion of the challenge. When they don't feel cared for, they are going to do just what they have to do to get by. And usually they're looking for another job to get away from. Again, 65% of all people would give up a salary increase if they could fire their boss. When you look at those statistics, it is overwhelming the damage we are, the human damage we are doing in, in pursuit of economic gains. Why can't we have human gains and economic gains? Because people will share their gifts with you beyond your imagination when they feel valued and they look at their team member on the right and the left and they do it not just for their own career, but they do it for the collective good of the team. So anyway, it's just, it's a lot of little things, but, but when people feel cared for and safe, they will give you gifts that they didn't even know they had. Now, to repeat, the intersection of caring leadership and meaningful work changes the world. And caring leadership and meaningful work directly impacts the measurables that many of our leaders work on, like employee engagement scores and retention and you know attracting talent. But here's the profound statement that you just shared, Bob. Simply measure success by the way you touch lives. Right. Whether you're talking about your suppliers, your banker, we impact a lot of people's lives, okay? Not just the people on team member, but our suppliers, our bankers, our communities. And again, what we have in, in our world is a measure of success, which is money, power, and position. And it really doesn't matter how you get it, because if you get it, you can write big checks to charity and you feel you're a good family because you did that. The greatest act of charity, again, is not the checks we write. It's the way we treat the people we have the privilege of leading. It is a profound responsibility, but you would never send a child of yours in to have surgery done by anybody other than who is a certified surgeon who had experience that you put your child in that care. Why would we send them to work for somebody who will destroy them? Because again, the way they're treated. So we put people in, we give technical degrees in accounting, finance, marketing, and then we promote them into leadership without any training in leadership. Okay, zero. Why do we do that? Why would we do that to the people in this world? Because the Industrial Re Revolution created a need for skills. So we, the, the universities gave what the Industrial Re Revolution what they wanted, which was skills. They didn't give them what we needed. They gave them, we gave them what they wanted, which was skills. And then we promote those skills positions into leadership with zero background, okay? Nobody ever told me when I became a... a manager boss, that the way I would treat people would affect their health and the way they treated their family, which changes everything when you think about it. Nobody thinks about that. We think of the organizational goals and we see people as a means for our success. Bob, this has been a joy and very meaningful for me. I just have really enjoyed the experience with you. And I know you've inspired many people today. We're going to head over to our lightning round to hear a little bit more about some of your favorite things. We'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change 
and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right. It's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science. Had a lovely conversation today with Bob Chapman. And now we're here with our lightning round so we can learn a little bit more about Bob and some of his favorite things. So Bob, if you had to pick one book, your favorite of all time, or maybe a favorite recent read, what would you like to recommend? I read a book, a very simple book called probably 15, 20 years ago called The One Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. And it profoundly impacted the way I thought about being a leader. And so I would say to you, the one minute manager awakened me to a totally different way of thinking about my role. And that was probably 15 to 20 years ago. What is your favorite hobby when you're not working? My passion in life is uh, living in the West. You know, I was raised in Ferguson and St. Louis County, and I didn't know places like Colorado existed. Uh, And when I, I got an opportunity to be exposed to Colorado, uh, even though my office is in St. Louis and I work in St. Louis, my home is a, a cattle ranch in the mountains of Colorado where I spend. And I love being out west. Uh, the weather invites you out every day and says, what are we going to do today? So it's a very vibrant lifestyle, people who love life. So that my hobby is life and people. And share your favorite vacation spot. Well, uh, my favorite vacation spot is where I live, Colorado, because I, I, I believe I live in a vacation spot. <laughs> So uh, that's my favorite vacation spot in the world. Oh, wow. And Bob, how can listeners gain access to you and your team and just your outstanding teachings after the show? I get that question quite often. So first of all, I would say to you, uh, I did a TED Talk. Simon Sinek invited me to do a TED Talk uh, six or seven years ago at Scott Air Force Base. And if, if you're interested in this message, you can go back and there's an animated version of this on the internet that kind of brings to life this everything I just said in nine minutes. So A, you can second of all, we wrote the book Everybody Matters because people said, Bob, you've got to share this with the world. We've never seen anything like it. So, you know, the last a, a gentleman named Srikamar Rao was a contributing editor to Forbes said, Bob, you've got to write a book. And uh, so it never occurred to me to write a book, which we did, Everybody Matters. I think now 80,000 copies have been sold around the world. It's been used around the world for leadership development that it was meant to be a how-to book. So I would say to you, the book is the second step. And number third, we have what's called the Chapman and Co-Leadership Institute, where we're helping organizations around the world create a movement like ours to care for their people. And so we, we've got 20 people now focused full-time on sharing this blessing we've had to bring other people along for online content, classes, Etc. So it's Chapman and Co. Leadership Institute. All right. So did it hit you in the heart? Such goodness there. So much care and great leadership advice in this episode. Here's my truth you can act on from Bob Chapman. Number one is a question. How are you giving your people a grounded sense of care and reflecting? Great journaling exercise. And a tip that he shared that was just so powerful. And we've heard this a lot, but just reiterating number two, listening is the greatest skill to impact change. What are the questions you're asking? How are you intentionally listening? How are you practicing like reflective communication from what you heard and making sure that people feel heard? 
And then I love this quote from Bob number three, measure success by the way you touch lives. So thinking, how do you track that? Is it the number of people that you had one-on-one conversations with? Is it the number of people that you asked powerful questions and just listened? But measuring your success in leadership by the way you touch lives. Such good inspiration for a great reflective exercise in journaling, just to look introspectively at what we're doing and There's so much great content out there from Bob Chapman. You can look up Chapman & Co., all of his great work at Barry Waymiller. Um, We're going to link to ways that you can follow him and his content in the show notes and highly encourage you to do that. We hope you enjoyed this. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.